to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, October 3rd edition of the show. And that means, yes, you heard it right. It's the month of October. It's finally here. Hockey is is a mere few days away from being back in our lives. Regular season hockey, that is. So, Jake, are you are you ready as you this, sip on your, your wine there? Yeah, this is a, probably the last episode that we'll do without having an idea of what the final roster is going to be. This is the last episode that we can maybe speculate about um, because as of, what is it, next Sunday is the final preseason game. And so after that, the rosters will start getting set. The first home game is going to be a week from, or the first game of the season, first home game is going to be a week from Wednesday. We're starting to get models out from the different websites about how the season's going. It yeah. feels like it feels like the season's drawing near and it's one of the most exciting times. And the first week, the first couple weeks of hockey I think is just it's, pure it's bliss. It's the best. It's pure it's bliss the best. because there's just so much, so many mistakes. Games are going to be high scoring. The coaches haven't gotten their their claws into their team yet, and especially with ESPN Plus and how it works and how easy it is now and accessible it is to watch every game. I'm just going to have a game on every night, just like in the background. It's yeah, going to be fantastic. It, it's the novelty of it, I think, early on. It's just yeah. like, yes, this is back in our lives. Um, I will say, though, um, I so I'm not happy, completely happy that I'm, I've left Southern California, but I will say that being able to watch the Ducks on ESPN Plus without a VPN, kind of nice. Kind of nice to not have to jump through any hoops to, to watch this team. What do you mean about jumping through hoops? What what hoops are there to jump through except for me um, getting a login for Bally Sports to be able to watch games? Yeah, it's 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 insane. I actually do. You you brought it up, and I do want to quickly touch on this. So as you mentioned, there are you know multiple different sources of of statistical modeling. You know, different analysts out there that every season, and we we cite them on the show all the time. You know the names that you know are bringing up their. I guess their predictions for the season, their their rankings, and as it turns out, Jake, maybe are we are we too high on the Ducks? Are we? Is that possible? You want me to make so the one that I go to is Evolving Hockey because I think you and I both we we really support Evolving. We trust their model the most. There's a lot there that makes us I think go there right away. And so uh-huh. I look at their model. It has the Ducks projected at not eighty two point nine points? With a standard deviation of plus or minus eight point three point or eight point three uh, standings points, so if the Ducks are at the higher end of that, that puts them at what is that ninety points, ninety one points ish. I would maybe say I would expect a little bit higher, but that's well within the range of kind of what we've been talking about. That them maybe it's a little bit lower than we are, and we're maybe a little more optimistic because. We cover this team, we see this team, and maybe we are buying in a little bit more to the internal improvement of some guys on this team, like a Trevor Zegers, like a like Troy Terry, like Mason McTavish, and kind of everything that goes along with that. But I don't think that that projection is really out of the ordinary for this team. I think they're, they're most likely a mid-80-point team that if everything goes right and John Gibson returns to the form that he had in his mid-20s, this is a team that could get their way into the 90s from a point total perspective, which puts them in the mix for the wild card. Yeah, I don't think that we've been too high on them. I think we've just been more so. I think we've, we've been, been more... we've been on the positive side of that standard deviation, not really talking about the negative side of that. Well, standard deviation. I think we've just been more vocal. We've just discussed the kind of upper end, like you said, more than we have the the lower end, because 
I think for the first time in, in years, there is actually like an, an upper end. There is a possibility that, that things go well in a meaningful way. Whereas before, you know, what the heck was a successful season? We don't really know. But I do still find it a little jarring. I mean, there are some models out there that have the, the Ducks likeliest finish. I think, didn't Jayfresh have the, the Ducks last in the yeah. Pacific? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that that's completely impossible right i mean well, the ducks the ducks could finish last it's just it's still striking to see that yeah i think this is this puts it kind of in perspective right evolving hockey last year had the ducks finishing at a projected 75.7 points and this year it's at 82.9 an improvement of 7.2 points that's a pretty decent improvement and i think you and i maybe would even push that to maybe a 10 point improvement in terms of their median and so I think that's about on par with what we're expecting from this team going into. And so maybe it's jarring that some of them have them lower than others. Um, but I think kind of from looking at the model that we trust the most, I think that it's probably about right. I think my bigger confusion is kind of everyone around the Ducks um, with right. some of these and, and and where that ends up. And I think that part of that is due to, I think, the Pacific being wide open. I think the the range of results for every team is kind of completely out there i think the only team that the ducks are for sure better than in the pacific are is san jose um, really you don't think they're for sure better than seattle i think it depends i mean seattle had the absolute worst goaltending performance in years last year from philip grubauer if they get uh i think it's like uh league average goaltending they're going to be up 10 points from where they were last year mm-hmm. and that's a huge improvement for them and so I, I think that more likely than not, they're going to be better than Seattle, but I don't think it's a given. Um, and, and so I don't think it's a given that they're better than really any team outside of San Jose. I think Vancouver, you can make the argument, maybe Vancouver's better than them, but I think the Ducks are still probably going to be better. There, there's just a whole lot of variability, I think, in the division overall, and I think that's going to lead to a really exciting season. Yeah, I, I think that the, the thing that's really taken me aback the most, looking at these different models and looking at, we'll just stick with Micah McCurdy's model here on hockeyviz.com also a good also a very good model yeah so he had anaheim second to last in the pacific with seattle being last and i don't think seattle is going to be that good like even if they get the bump from goaltending right like they, they were a bottom tier possession or you know goal differential expected goal differential team last year they didn't really make any big changes to their roster i just don't know really where this improvement outside of the net is going to come from for them. Uh, but what I, where I was going with this is that Micah has Vancouver number one in the Pacific. And we've seen with some of these other models, Vancouver being higher than you, you and I, I have no idea. Have I have no about. idea that that's the thing is I have no idea where this Vancouver hype's coming from. Well, it, I think so. Here's, here's where I think it's coming from. I think that you and I have just both kind of summarily discounted Vancouver throughout the offseason because they weren't good last year. I mean, they got Travis Dermott. They got Ilya Mikheyev. Well, I'm not trying to make a case that they're good. I'm just making a case for why we've probably haven't thought about them in this light as much. But they have established talent up front, right? Like you said, they got Mikheyev. Yeah. They have a good goalie in that- Thatcher Demko, which matters a lot for standings projections. So you can kind of see why they would be a good or a decent-ish regular season team. I think number one is still crazy talk, but you can see the the kind of skeleton of where they could go. My whole thing with them, though, and why I still would have them outside of the playoffs is because I just don't think their blue line is is really 
any good at all. Like, sure, they got Travis Dermott and they have Quinn Hughes, but that's it. Like, it's it's really slim pickings outside of that. So, the Va- the Vancouver optimism is still strange to me. I'm being handed Luke for a podcast appearance. Oh, <laughs> damn! He got bigger. He yeah. He's he's grown. <laughs> he's grown. I have been told to hold him for a minute. So Felix, go on as my wife moves my car out of in a specific spot. So um, car. yeah. So if you hear uh, noises, it's from Luke, but he's being a really good boy. Um, no, and I, I think kind of getting back to the Ducks, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the season plays out. And I think, well, yeah, I, I think a interest a big part of this is I think if you're trying to predict goaltending, and I think goaltending plays a really big part in these uh, predicted standings. I think that. John Gibson is not as much of a sure thing, I think, going into the season as Thatcher Demko is. And I know no. that might might sound crazy to some people. No, but it's John, true. <laughs> John Gibson had an awful season last year in terms of if you look at some of the overall numbers. He was great up until the All-Star game, but after that All-Star game, it was like 11 or 12 straight negative GSAX games. Like, that sunk the team's playoff chances straight up right there. And I think if you're factoring that in and factoring in the prior years, and if that's the John Gibson that's going to be here, it's going to be hard for the Ducks to make a push for the playoffs. If they can instead get a positive John Gibson, get a guy who's above replacement level for them for the year and not have these long stretches, I think that puts them in that upper range and puts them in the playoff race. And so I think that's an important thing here. Yeah, I think that a lot of well the thing with the ducks though is they do have a lot of variance as well because there's it's not just john gibson john gibson is one big piece of that maybe the most influential but also i mean we're we're anticipating like for you to be an optimist about the ducks you do need a few assumptions to become true the biggest one to me is the young players taking a step forward right if if trevor zegris jamie drysdale maxime contois if these if these different players don't take a step forward this year or they don't take a significant enough step forward then it's going to be really hard for the ducks to to be that much better than they've been um you know even with the additions the veteran additions that they made um i do think that ryan strome and frank vertrano help a lot but you know you're also depending on for example an adam henrique who was really good last year but is 32 and you can't count on a player at that age to to you you, you can't count on their no, performance season over but, season. But I think Adam Henrique, if you're gonna count on a guy to be able to put up numbers as they age, he's been a guy that's surprisingly been able to do that and really kind of he's go done against. it. But you legitimately just cannot count on it. Like yeah, you, no, it's, no, it's no, not fair. a given. Yeah, that's like fair. aging curves. Th- there's but, a reason we rail against aging curves, and it's no 100. percent Yeah, and, and um, I, but I think I was looking at this earlier because someone had mentioned that they didn't think the Ducks top six was great. And I think if you look at it, it's a pretty damn solid to above average top six in the NHL. And so this is now just getting into the roster. But it seems as if the Ducks are probably going to be rolling out Vetrano, Zegris, Henrique. And then they're also going to have Comtois uh, with uh, Strom and uh, who am I spacing on that? Terry. Oh, Terry. There you go. Uh, Why why would I ever space on Terry? Yeah, is that – is okay, is that an above average top six? If we're purely looking at point production last year, that is four guys that were on pace for over 60 points last year. Yeah, I guess. I just don't think – I don't know. I, I don't think it's a great – like, league-wide, I don't think it's a great top six. I think it's above average. I think it's top 15. Like, if, if – I mean, I, I just think you need – like, Max Contois in there. Max Contois was bad last year. Mm-hmm. Like, like he's part of it. And Trevor Zegers, again, you need him to become the player you think he can be this year. Um, so I'm not trying to like, you know, rail against the Ducks chances here. I'm just trying to present 
the case for why maybe there is some skepticism towards them. I think that the Ducks, like, I think, I, well, I yeah, personally they, they, believe... There, there is a lot of optimism baked into that, but there is some, it's not a complete hopeless optimism. There's realism no. there. No, like, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that Trevor Zegers is going to take a big step forward. I don't think it's unreasonable to think Troy Terry can be good again. I think Ryan Strom is right kind of in, in his late prime, so I think he can he can sustain the production he had last year. You know, Frank Vitrano, that's kind of an interesting one to me because is he, like, I don't know if I would consider him like a true top six player. He's more of like a complimentary piece. Let me ask you this. What if we're just purely looking at goal totals? What mm-hmm. do you need and ignoring points? Okay. And I and I know that we, we don't always look at points. We like looking at everything else. But at a certain point, you need to look at that in the global sense of it for identifying players. What mm-hmm. goal total do you want to see from a player for them to be considered a top six if you're only looking at goals? If you're only looking at goals. Goal scored. Okay. Well, so by that logic, is Trevor Zegers a top six player? I'm, but I'm how saying. Many, only, how many goals it, did he have last year? No, no, but I'm saying ignoring a point production. Like, I think that you can say, based upon point production, this guy is, I think, based upon ignoring point production, I think, only looking at goal scoring, this guy is. And there's different standards. I think you need to be. Players. I think you need to be in the 25 goal range. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so. I think, I think that's a fair range. Yeah, Frank Vitrano, just for those wondering, was uh, scored 18 goals last year. And in the uh, season prior in Florida, in 56 games, put up 18 goals. So in the lockout shortened season, or not lockout, the COVID season, mm-hmm. uh, put up 18 goals in 50, uh, 56 games. His last full 80, like 80 plus goal, uh, game season in Florida, 81 games, put up 24 goals. Yeah. So he's a volume shooter. He's a guy that's going to put the puck on net. Playing with Trevor Zegers, he's going to get shots in dangerous locations, Mm -hmm. and he's going to be able to score goals. And I think that that is something that he's going to be able to do, and it's going to be really, really good. And yeah, and so I, I, sure, there's optimism baked into that, though. There, but there. Well, is I also some logic think there. that you you answered your own question earlier, though. With, with you know, like, there's a reason we don't only look at this stuff because Frank Vitrano, I think if you only look at goals, looks looks pretty good. Yeah. But is not a playmaker, right? If you look at his on ice impact. Mm-hmm. Last year, you know, a fine player, but nothing, nothing that really jumps out at you. And if you look at the last three years, he's kind of all over the place. He's not great mm-hmm. defensively. He's so anyway, I just don't really like I think he's the kind of guy where he needs the right line mate to thrive. And I think he has the right line mate. I think that Trevor Zegers is that guy, but I just wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't like fully expect right away this top six to be above average. I think that they're right on they're probably right on that borderline. Well, if you have four of your six players in your top six being sixty plus point players and the other guys being more support players that maybe put up twenty five goals, I think that's a pretty a pretty decent to above average top six. Yeah, I'm trying to think, wait, so who so Strom is a sixty point player? He yeah, he had sixty nine points last year. He had fifty four. Am I wait, oh no, sixty nine, sorry. 69, yeah. you're right. Um, Granted, playing with Panarin, so that, that needs to factor in there. Yeah, and then... Adam Henrique was on pace Wait, for, no, he didn't like, have 69 points. He had 54 points. He had 69 penalty minutes. Oh, damn it. That was what I looked yeah, at earlier. He had, he, he had 54 points. Uh, Contois did not have 60 points. No, 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 no but, but... Petrano did not have 60 points. Adam, Henrique was, Adam so Henrique was on pace for 60. So you have one 60-point score in this top Terry, six. Terry. Or sorry, two, two, Zegras and Terry. Yep, that is. I saw that P and in, <laughs> yep. Whoops, whoops. So 
Two is a little less than four, but I understand. I, your point Ad, is well taken. Ad, Adam Henrique on pace for 60 points, though. On well, pace. If he, yeah, because he pace. played 41 games last year. Okay. Well, here I am now making enemies, saying the Ducks just aren't good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, yeah. I think we're just trying to illustrate why these projections are maybe not where we would have thought they would have been after all of our offseason yeah. discussion. So on that note, uh, let's get into the games that we've been watching the last week here. There was actually four preseason games last week, and a lot happened. I mean, we, first off, I mean, I should point out that there were a couple of injuries, um, one of them being to Trevor Zegers, who was checked in open ice against Arizona. The updates right now are that he's day-to-day, the upper body injury. We don't know the nature of the injury. We can only speculate. Um, I think he has skated, though, which is a positive sign. Yeah, he, he got on the ice. I think it was on, it was either Saturday or I Sunday. I think it was he got over the, the weekend. Yeah. And then, you know, unfortunately, Erovac Nainen suffered a really gruesome injury. Uh, I believe it was against San Jose. Mm-hmm. And just kind of lost his footing, getting back to his own net, and slipped out into the end boards, and I think was knocked unconscious uh, for a little bit there. Maybe yeah. not unconscious, but yeah, but regardless, he was he was out and he was hurt real bad, and they had to take him to the hospital. Sounds like he's doing all right. So I mean, they, the the night of they said he was responsive, full full motion, full everything like that. But we don't actually know what his injury is either. I mean, we can only assume something upper body if we want to be conservative yeah. there. So. I just want to say this really quickly. These are both, I mean, these are both just kind of unfortunate circumstances. I mean, with Zegris, we talked about on our Patreon show, we won't really relitigate it here, but a, a hit that maybe we wouldn't like to see in the game anymore because it involves some head contact. And then Earl Vakanine and a freak injury, both, neither of those things you can really predict for. Mm-hmm. But why do we have seven preseason games? Like, like this is, I think that these, these incidents kind of illustrate that the more preseason games you have the more possibility you have for injury and i'm not against having a preseason i just think that i don't want to see guys ever injured and even if it's in a regular season game it still sucks but at least if it's in a game that actually counted for something that'd be a nice place to start yeah i i think that's that's the key point there um and so i get it i just think that it's tough, right? Because they have the rules in place to to not necessarily screw over uh, fans at the game for all of the what is it the the veteran rule that you have to have a certain yeah. veteran players in the lineup. But this is what happens when, when you have those types of rules, and I think that yeah, maybe cutting it down from seven games to four games, uh, something is, like that. Is a good way to do it. Something like that. Um, now getting into the games here. So I guess who stood out to you in this last week and can you can can you name anyone before you name Rocco Grimaldi that's the real question here uh i mean john klingberg let's is go rock is rocco grimaldi just the guy rocco grimaldi has been really good is he the like, star of this preseason well i think you have to say that cuz i mean he's been a guy that came in on a pto right Let, let's just get into it let's talk about rocco grimaldi he's a guy that's come in on a pto uh, to me, I didn't really make of it much of it. And we should also mention also on a PTO and got a contract. I don't think we'll talk too much about him, but it's Nathan Beaulieu. Uh, I think you and I both agree. He did not play well in the couple games that he played. He's gotten, yeah, absolutely, but he's, he scored though. He's gotten absolutely hammered from a five on five perspective. And we'll get into that contract in a bit. I think you and I have some, I don't know. I have some logic behind it, but it's not the best logic. Um, 
But if you look at the game so far, Rock Grimaldi has played in, let's see, uh, three of those games. One of them we don't have information on because it was against the Coyotes. Yeah, I love but, that. Yeah. But he has, what, five points in those games. Uh, and in the two games that we have, numbers four put up a 60% expected goals, four percentage. Uh, and then including last night um, where he did it in a game where basically the Ducks were not icing that many NHLers and the Kings were icing a very heavy NHL lineup, including Andre Kopitar. And he was on a line with Max Comtois and Adam Henrique, and they dominated that game. They were the Ducks' line. They had the most chances. They were creating chances. And Rocco Grimaldi scored. And so I think if you're asking of a guy to come in on PTO, right, I'm not quite sure what more Grimaldi has to do. Right. Yeah. If if you're looking at it from that perspective, in all three games he's played, he's been or the two games we have numbers for, and I think from the the perspective of understanding what happened in that game against Arizona in Arizona, the Ducks dominated were doing well, and he dominated in terms of getting chances. And so this is a guy that's come in, put up chances, been on the ice for a lot of expected goals for, not that many against, has helped this team, and also has been able to produce both from uh, goal scoring and setting up other players. And so. I just don't know what more you can ask of a player to earn a contract, right? Well, here's here's the thing, and, and this is the point that I've been leading the charge on, outspoken for sure, is that, you know, Rocco Grimaldi, he's not a player that I, I like, I think is it's important for the Ducks to have him on the team. I think that ideally you would have, you would be giving a fourth line, third line spot to a young player, but the Ducks aren't going to do that. You know, Braden Tracy... Jacob Perot, these guys have been sent down. There aren't really any young forward type candidates left in the bottom six. And we've talked about it ad nauseum the last couple of weeks is that the Ducks bottom six is, is a big weakness for them. And I think right now that's one of the reasons that I am a little lower on them, uh, in, lower on their ceiling. Like if they could shore that up, I would be higher on it. And so Grimaldi, even though he's not this kind of exciting player, he was in the AHL last year. He's an upgrade over a Max Jones. He's an upgrade over Derek Grant. Uh, he's an upgrade. Jacob Silverberg. Jacob Silverberg. An, uh, yeah, Jacob uh, Jacob Silverberg, who honestly like has looked pretty bad this preseason. You know, just looks. I mean, you know, it's just preseason, so who knows how hard he's trying? But I just think Silverberg is looking a little like on his last legs here, and he's got two years left in his contract. So all those things considered. Like, yeah, why not? Why not just give Grimaldi a shot and, hey, you've at least tried to plug up a weakness as best you can. Yeah, and I think that Ducks roster, just at least from the bottom six perspective, looks a whole lot better with Rocco Grimaldi there. They have a guy that I think can at least put the puck in the net somewhat, can provide positive from an, a positive play from the offensive perspective in a way that they necessarily haven't. And, I mean, knowing what we know about Jacob Silverberg and essentially how his game is trending, would you? I think having... Mason McTavish with a Rocco Grimaldi looks so much more appetizing than having him with the Jacob Silverberg, which is where it seems like this. Well, is we trending. saw we we saw what that looked like against LA, and McTavish just barely touched the puck because yeah. he's on he's on he's on a line where you know he's he was with Lundestrom and Silverberg, and it just didn't look pretty. And yep. the reason for that is because those guys aren't really playmakers, and it's it is kind of interesting, you know, going back to Grimaldi's last year in the in the NHL, which was. Um, the COVID season there, we actually do have some tracking data uh, for that year from Corey Schneider's tracking project. And he actually looks, you know, he looks good from that perspective, really, really good at recovering uh, dumped in pucks. So it's basically a really good four checker and also a good playmaker, good at, at setting up chances from the center lane. So, I mean, that is a lot more evidence. That is more evidence than we have on all the other names we put together combined 
uh, about what they can do. So yep. I think that I think that's why, again, that's the case for Grimaldi being on the team, especially when again those spots are not going to go to young players. Like that's just not happening. So you might yep. as well just maximize them. Yep. And I guess just really quickly on that note, just with the roster, I think he's. I think they're going to give him a contract because you look at the roster, you look at the moves they made today. They sent down uh, Chase Leo. Austin Strand, Daniel Regan, Josh Lapina, Bo Grew was sent down. Chase DeLeo was placed on waivers. Justin Kirkland on waivers. Ole Levy on waivers. And then O'Regan and Strand also cleared waivers before being sent down. And so you look at the, the forward group. It's at 14 forwards with the final three guys on the team being Glenn Godden, uh, Pavel Agenda, and uh, and uh, Rocco Grimaldi. And so... Is Glenn Godden on this team? I mean, I think they're going to go with uh, 13 forwards. So I think Godin is the final cut for the team unless they don't sign Grimaldi. And that might be why they're keeping up Glenn Godin is he's the, the 13th forward. If he was Grimaldi... in the shootout last night. He was like first up. Yeah. So, um, and, and so I, I think that he's made the team. I think they're going to try to, they're trying to sign him. And I think that, I mean, it's a, it's a feel good story, right? A local kid making the team going to be on the opening at Ross yeah. after being the AHL last year. It's, it, it's a good story for this franchise. Um, Getting back to your other question, though, right, about standouts and trying to talk about guys that were standouts that uh, were not uh, Rock Grimaldi, let's touch on a couple. Olin Zellweger. Yeah, dearly departed. Olin Zellweger. It sounds like as if the Ducks made a conscious decision of he was not going to make the team, and they made that, that decision prior to training camp. And so they made they put him in basically the back-to-back games at the start of the week. And then sent him down afterwards to get straight to Everett because their season had begun, so he could start playing there. And they didn't want to necessarily keep him up with false hope or anything like that. This was a decision. This They made it quick. And they Whether it was harsh or not is up to you to determine. But in the two games that he played, he looked fantastic. He looked great. He, he was dominant. The, the goal that he set up from Ryan Strom really heads up play to see the guy coming from the back post and shoot wide directly onto the stick and was able to really generate a lot of offense. And in that game against Arizona that really got chippy, things like that, the Ducks were down to three defensemen at one point in time. And Olin Zellweger really looked good during that period. It was him, Cam Fowler, and Jamie Drysdale on the bench, basically. Those were your three defensemen. It was beer league style. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, he looked good. And again, like now that we have more information, I do think that the Ducks, I mean, they... I think players really like that when they're not getting jerked around wondering yeah. what's what's going on or false hope, things of that nature. So all's well that ends well. And I mean, I don't want to get off Zellweger too fast, but no Warren is still on this team <laughs> has not been cut. And I find that fascinating. I don't think I think that is a situation. Uh, I, guess I don't think Zellweger, he's making the team, by the way. No, Priya Pismic is saying Zellweger was suspended. I didn't not see that so i'll look into that as you're talking next uh felix but uh yeah i don't think it's a false hope situation either because i he probably knows he's not making well has has the the qmjhl season started yes yes it has it has okay but i think it's a situation of they probably want to get there may be something they want him to work on from the training perspective and they maybe want to have him have a little bit more times time with the ducks training i mean there's no there's no harm in keeping him around nope not at all so like I don't think he should be on the team because he's so young and he's so he's just not there yet. He's not fully polished. I mean, you he's definitely and I think Dallas Higgins spoke to this. You know, he's he's definitely shown some really nice things and he's shown what he can be, but I don't think there's any way in hell he's making the team. Like there's no. ju- there's too many there's... guys in front of him and the, you know the way that they feel about young players like they're going to give him time and and I think that that's 
more than appropriate here. Yeah, I guess Olin Zellweger was suspended for two games, uh, but it was uh, an incident that occurred in Friday's game. No, uh, have not seen anything actually for how it happened, though. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, I guess you touched on it. We can quickly cover it, but Nathan Bolia signed to a one-year deal, 850K. Had one, I mean, he scored against, what was it, Arizona? No, or, San Jose. No, it was San Jose. San Jose. It was, it was, it was the game Vacanine and got hurt. Yeah, and, and the day after, he was signed to a contract. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe those two things are related, the injury. I don't think they are because... The Ducks, I mean, they just didn't need Bolia in their rotation to meet the number. So I think it was. Okay. So here, let me lay out the logic for you. Because I think, worst case scenario, this is a bad signing if he plays games. He is not good. He has not been good in the preseason. The Ducks don't need a necessarily physical guy like him that's just going to get torched. I mean, he's you don't not want even good... physical, though. Like, that's the no, funny and thing. like, he's not like I know people tried to say, oh, it adds a fighter. He fought three times last year. He's not a fighter. He's not physical. I mean, he was drafted as a as a kind of mobile puck moving defenseman and just never panned out. And I mean, he's basically kind of been riding that reputation throughout yeah. his career. It, it, and so kind of here's worst case. If he plays games, this is a bad signing. Uh, cause he is not a good player. Well, his, I think his, just to, just to kind of like illustrate that point, like the reason Jake is saying that is because Bolio's numbers on ice have just been like basically in anytime, pre-se- in preseason he, and in prior seasons. Yeah. The last three years, anytime that he is on the ice, his team is getting massively outplayed. Yeah. And yeah. And, and we've seen that. In, and we've seen that in preseason. I mean, you look at, let me see, let me, let me go down the list. He is out of the 43 players that have played for the Ducks so far in the preseason. He is 40th. And yeah, yeah. like, like this is at 22% expected, expected goals for percentage uh, perspective. He at 22.7 expected goals for percentage. Also not great. Last is Mason McTavish. Granted, he's only played one game. He's played one game. And yeah. and like the, the thing with these numbers for preseason is like small sample, small sample. The, these numbers aren't meant to be significant in a small sample. Like no, they're, but not, they're they, not significant they, in a small sample. They are reflective of what happened on the ice. I think if you just watch Boyer play in, especially in that San Jose game, like, just turned the puck over so many times, unforced errors. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think that they signed him to be a warm body to just yeah. kind of fill out the depth. If he ends up playing, which he could, we don't know that yet that he yeah. won't. Then it's... I mean, they they did play Greg Pattern in the first couple of games last year, so who knows what they're gonna do? But yeah, yeah, like best worst or best case scenario, this is a throwaway signing for essentially they want to have eight defensemen just in case of injuries with Vakanin and being out. And this makes Bowie the eighth defenseman. And if some guys get hurt, Hellison is the first guy to be called up or some other guy is the first guy to be called up. And Bowie is consistently the eighth defenseman. And the only way he gets in is if guys get hurt in in the morning skate or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, so. that, like that's the only way is, is basically you don't want to have that eighth guy or someone, someone like that being one be a Drew Hellison, be someone that you want to be playing games on the regular and so you just have it be a guy. I mean, it's the the Schuster role. It's the uh, Corbinian Holzer role. I mean, that's it's what that he role. is. Like he's, that is essentially he, what it what he is. And so if he plays at all, this is bad. And I think that this is not a good signing. If he doesn't at all, if he plays maybe one or two games. Sorry, let me change it from plays at all. If he plays one or two games, when no, but like a guy guys get hurt in morning skates, things like that, and he ends up in the game in games. It's kind of an inconsequential signing, right? And I think right. that, that that's more so where I'm at is like it's inconsequential. I don't 
necessarily view this as a flaw in Verbeek in Verbeek's plans or anything like that. Yep. Okay. Well, we're about thirty minutes in here. Did you want to go to our break here? Or did you? Is there anything else you want to touch on? Uh, no, let's get to our break. So this episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company, and they make eating well easy uh, with plants of every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preference. Uh, and so they have variety and customization. They've expanded their menu going from 24 to 30 recipes weekly with the option to mix and match meals from, uh, different dietary preferences in the same box without changing your plan. I.e. you can order vegan one day, keto the next and add in extra meals with just one click. And there's so much more customization, customization than before. They have three new flavorful protein options. I know Felix, you're very much into organic, uh, in organic meats, the yes. highest quality meats. You can now swap out your chicken, beef or salmon for us. USDA certified organic ground beef, USDA certified organic chicken, or wild caught sockeye salmon. And they have options for every lifestyle, whether you're uh, eating, want to eat well, whether you're someone that's keto, whether you're vegan, vegetarian, you just want fat and fast and fit, Mediterranean, or gluten free, they've got something for you. And they have the only keto meal kit, which makes sticking to a carb conscious lifestyle easy. And it's also the only meal kit that is uh, sustainable. It's made, uh, is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. And 100% of their seafood meets the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch rankings of certified best choice or good alternative. And so if you want to go ahead and uh, check out Green Chef, go to greenchef.com slash CTP135 and use code CTP135 to get $135 off across five boxes and your first box ships free. So you can once again go to greenchef.com slash CTP135 and use the code CTP135 to get $135 off across five boxes and your first box ships free. So Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. And then this episode is also brought to you by True Classic. Today's episode is sponsored by True Classic. And guys, let's talk about t-shirts. Finding that perfect fitting shirt can be terrible. I swear the thing is either way too tight, has a case of the bacon neck, or is just plain big and boxy. Luckily, True Classic wants to make every man look good and feel good. Tighter fit in the chest and sleeves to make your arms pop and room in the torso to keep things cozy. I'm telling you, all of their styles are super soft and at a great price for what you're getting. So guys, no excuses. Get rid of those ratty t-shirts I know you've been hanging on to for years and get ready to upgrade. We have exclusive deals for our listeners. We want to hook you up with some true classic. For a limited time only, get 25% off with the code CTP at trueclassic.com. So almost all men's t-shirts are designed to look good on certain body types, think skinny models with six packs. But most of us aren't packing anything but a few beers, and I've been there and I am there, and there's nothing wrong with that, my dudes. It's simple. You are wearing the wrong clothes. Their tees taper off from the bottom, and they but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. You can throw on that true classic with confidence knowing you've got your bases covered. And they have a pack builder on their website where you can custom build all of their essential products and save even more than the discount we're offering you today. And for uh, any of those big boys out there, they have long body options for the tall guys and up to triple XL on their staple colors. True Classic will make you feel your best by accentuating the places the eyes goes first. Whether you have abs or flabs, your clothes look great on all body types. So skinny dudes, big dudes, buff dudes, my dudes dudes, True Classic has you covered. 
Uh, get comfortable, get going, and upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic. Get 25% off at trueclassic.com with the code CTP. Free shipping included on any purchase over $100. 100% risk-free guarantee with a 30-day return policy. True Classic, when you look good, you feel good. All righty. On that note, let's uh, let's march forward. So, any anything else that stuck out to you, Jake, here from this uh, from this preseason so uh, far? Congratulations to John Klingberg. Uh, him and his yes. wife uh, welcomed their daughter into the world, and he slipped away during the second intermission. Love that. And, and so he's only played two periods, but in those two periods, <laughs> granted, ultimate small sample size. But you know yes. what? I'm gonna <laughs> read into it because why not? Um, <laughs> 0.72 expected goals for 0.21 expected goals against. He's played well. King, King Klingberg is here. I think Frank Vetrano has looked really good. He has. He he is definitely the one thing that I think is noticeable is his ability to get off shots from weird angles. Well, that's the that's the thing with him is that I had this kind of you know just looking at the stats over the summer, I knew that he could get a lot of shots off, but I I kind of had this image in my head of just this guy who. Just kind of a volume shooter, you know, getting just shots from any angle. But he's actually really good at creating good shooting angles. Like mm-hmm. he's not he's not just flinging it from the boards or something. Like he's he's able to work his way into more of that face off circle area. And and when he gets it off, like he's got that that shot has some zip on it. You know, he's not a sniper or anything like that. He's you know he does not like a 30, 40 goal scorer, but. I'm very curious to see how that skill is going to blend with with Trevor Zegris. So. We shall see another good note from the last week is that after getting hurt in his first game, Max Jones came back. So yep. he's not going to, for now, miss any significant time. So that's good news for him. Max Contois has looked, I think, decent, you know, by his standards so far. I think far. Better, than, better than decent. I think he's looked good. Yeah, and I think that that's encouraging, especially since he's gotten top six minutes so far. He's been given top six assignments. And that's encouraging for the Ducks as well because Max Contois... I think that he's kind of been a little forgotten this offseason just with the excitement of the additions and the newer faces, but he's still a guy who, if he's playing well, that does change the Ducks' fortunes quite a bit. He's well, he's it, a little bit of an X-factor. If you can get him playing well where he's a 25-goal scorer, right? Yeah, that totally. that You put a 25-goal scorer on that line, you put a 25-goal scorer in Vitrano on the first line, that's a difference maker for this team. Like, those two guys... Like, both of those lines can be lethal in different ways. And I think that Max Comtois showing that a little bit. I mean, he had the goal. I forget which game, but in front of the net, I think it was on the power play. Gets it on his his backhand. Backhand, cross cage, top corner. Like, that is a goal scorer's goal. That is a very highly skilled goal. Like, that is is not one where you look at it and say, oh, he jammed in the net and, and went into the dirty places. That's one where he found a puck in the front of the net and found a very, very uh good way to put it in the back of the net that not a whole lot of guys in the league can do well i mean it's a it's a bunch of different things but the fact that he was in the right spot at the right time right that take that's a skill as well being able to time that that dash to the net and then yeah the skill to actually put it away there's a lot of things working there for him and i mean that's kind of a i don't want to see a freebie for him but he has that ability he has the, the hands in tight he has the size to be a guy who could be effective in tight I think the thing that people underappreciate about guys who are really good at the net front is there's this whole timing element. It's not just stand there and wait for the rebound. Like that if it were that easy, there would be a lot more guys who would be playing their trade that way. I think one guy that comes to my mind is Corey Perry, who was 
I mean, who so good at that at just being able to kind of time when he's coming in to yeah. the net front. And so I think Coltois, I mean, if he's done any kind of film study this off season, if he continues to just kind of learn as he's getting more experience, like that could be an area where he could add a lot of value for this team. So something to so, keep an eye on. All right. We've talked about a lot of positives. <laughs> okay. You want to go to the negative. Okay. I want to do one. We're going to do one. Okay. And it's a, are you concerned question? Okay. I'm here for that. Are you concerned about Mason McTavish being on a line with Isaac Lundestrom? It's just one game. I mean, I just can't, like, I can't come away from it any different way than that, to be honest. Like, I, I... But no, but I'm not even talking about that game. I'm just talking about in general. That's where it seems like this is going. It seems like they're going to have McTavish it with seems, Lundestrom. It seems like that's where it's going because it was just one game sample. Like, that's all we have to judge it from. That's what I'm saying. Like, if he continues to be with Isaac Lundestrom, then yeah, I would be concerned because I don't think McTavish is going to thrive on a line with Lundestrom. I don't that, think... That's where I'm going because I think that... Yeah. You're right. It's one game. But it, I, from what I recall, this is going way back. But I think that this McTavish with Lundestrom was something that was going on during training well, camp. Well, and also, I mean, going back to last season, like he was on those third line duties. I just don't think there's a chance he's getting in. Like, I don't think he's going to be in the top six. Like last yeah. fri- Friday, we did a fun little Twitter space um, after the game, and it was a lot of fun. And I forget who was, but someone mentioned, you know, putting McTavish with Zegris. And I think that's a, like, I would love to see that because I think that, yes, those guys have some complimentary skills, but I don't, I don't see Dallas against doing that. I don't, yeah, I don't fire, see him fire. Carlisle brings up that McTavish Lundestrom Silverberg was a line uh, when McTavish was with the ducks last year. So there you go. So maybe my argument that it's just one game doesn't work because that's, we have prior evidence of, of this being a line. I just, I just don't understand what they're trying to get out of Mason McTavish. If he's starting out on that line, like I really do think that they, I think the Ducks just are, are kind of hoping that Jakob Silverberg still has something to give and that once the games start, the real games start, that he'll he'll show that and that Isaac Lindstrom is going to take a step forward. I just don't really understand where they see McTavish fitting into that. Like well, he is an he is an offensive player. He's if you're just bringing him on to be a checker next to those guys, like I just don't seems like a bit of a waste of his talent. And also one thing I'm curious about, the and it's not shocking they're putting him on wing. And it sounds like that's what they told him from the organization and all this different type of stuff. Yeah. But I, I come back to this, right? You look at long-term for this franchise, three, four years down the line. Or maybe even two years down the line. Uh, Isaac Lundestrom's not your third-line center. Like, he's your fourth-line center when everyone's up to speed on this team. Because it's Zegris, Strom, McTavish. Those are your in, top three in centers. In four years? In two to three years. Oh, Sorry, two to I, three. Two to three. Two to yeah. three. Yeah. Like, I think like Strom as he ages is still going to be your third line center. Possibly. Yeah. I, I just, I think this is the danger right now of the ducks trying to be a little bit better. This season is that decisions like these where yes, you know, maybe right now it makes, they see it as it makes more sense to put McTavish in the wing. He's transitioning from junior hockey. They're trying to be competitive, blah, blah, blah. But like all things considered, this is still a team that's, a few years away from being a true cup contender. And that like now when the stakes are low, like they are right now, now is the time to get Mason McTavish to learn on the fly and to play his natural position. Like he's not going to learn to how to play center in the NHL playing on the wing in the NHL. Well, And now you're just kicking the can down the road for when he is going to be learning how to play center. 
Yeah, I just really hate when these things happen because it's like I hate having this argument. Like I hate having this conversation because well, I feel like we've done just, it a few times. And, and, and just for the people wondering why we're saying this is that a, a center, while the game is more fluid now than it's ever been, and it's more so F1, F2, F3 than it was previously in terms of all the forwards work together. There is still a distinction between center and wingers in their general positioning. Wingers cover high in the defensive zone. They need to be on the boards to dig pucks out when it's rimmed around, everything along those lines, whereas the center's acting low, and he's providing the first breakout option uh, to the defenseman, and the puck will typically get on his stick to be able to bring it out of the zone, allowing for more puck touches. And that's what you want to see for Mason McTavish here. And while, yes, there will be rotation, he may get those chances with the Lundestrom, uh, with this line, even though he's a winger, that's not going to be his primary duty, and it's going to essentially change the way he has to play the game as a result because playing the game as a winger is different than playing the game as a center. And so that is one reason why people may say, well, it takes defensive responsibility, things like that often, but then why are you well, putting why? him on a checking well, line? And, and also, I, I kind of love, I don't know if anyone's actually made that argument, but... I have no idea. I'm just literally yeah. saying like that. that is the... That's the logic behind putting a guy on the wing. But my whole thing is that defensive responsibility. Like all we hear about is how, oh, he's he's this responsible two-way player, and you know, that's why he'll be the captain one day and Zegers won't be, is because he's got that two-way. And it's like, well, he's got to learn to do that at some point. So yeah, I I don't love this approach. Um and this is just another affirmation of how much they love Isaac Lundestrom. You know, that he's he's the guy. He's going to, you know, Mason McTavish is going to learn next to Isaac Lindstrom. I am curious to see. I hope that they put Rocco Grimaldi there as compared to Jacob Silverberg. Because yeah. I think that that creates a very different look. And I think one thing, I guess, to Lindstrom's defense slightly is he's never really had offensively creative players on a line with him. Mm-hmm. But the issue I have, if you watch him, there was a, a distinctive play in the game against the Kings where he makes a fantastic play in the D zone to recrawl a puck. And with the guy in his hip is able to transition the puck as a one-man transition through the neutral zone into the offensive zone, gets around Dowdy, and then he almost puts his head down and just is so puck-focused. And you see this a lot in beer league, and I do it a lot, where you just go down the wing and then you just kind of fire the puck. Or you just kind of throw it as a hope pass. And that's not necessarily going to be a good play. You want to see him picking his head up and finding guys because a lot of times guys away from the puck know the open space on the ice. They know the soft space and can dart into those spaces and they need to get the puck on their sticks in those open spaces because by going wide like that, he's just taking the puck to less dangerous areas and is just having a nothing play that turns the puck over. And so while I think playing him with better players could help significantly, he also needs to adjust what he does when he enters the, the offensive zone. And hopefully with McTavish and Grimaldi, that if that is where they go, that changes thing and he gives them the puck instead of holding on to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. All right. Well, so do you want to go into some questions or... Yeah. Okay. Yep. Let's get Let's... in some questions. Uh, so we're going to start with our Discord. These, This is from our Patreon. We'll get into our Patreon a little bit more later. But uh, so the Puff said, who are the main candidates for the Calder? And why is it just a race for second place behind McTavish? I mean, if McTavish is playing on that line, I his chances are not as yeah. awesome to me. Um, I think Marco Rossi has a chance now. I think Matty Beniers. Matty Beniers, Marco Rossi. Those are, I mean, Yuri Slavkovsky, can't forget oh, him. Owen Power. Yeah, it's going to be a fun rookie class. Maybe a Jake Sanderson. Yeah. Like yeah, this no, this is actually going to be a pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I guess if one. I I guess if I had to pick someone, you know, just purely unbiased, I would say Yuri Slavkovsky, probably. Wow, completely unbiased. <laughs> wow. 
Um, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I, I mean, it depends with McTavish. If he's not on the power play, if he's, he's not playing in an offensive line, like, this is going to be tough for him to put up points to win the I'm, I'm low. I'm low on his chances right now. Yeah, same. Um, hey, Odiflo said, what are your thoughts on evolving hockey's Pacific division, division standings projection? So we already talked right about the Kings and the Ducks. Or, sorry, uh, Canucks and Ducks. What are your overall thoughts on it, though? So it has Flames first, Oilers second, Golden Knights third, Kraken fourth, Canucks fifth, Kings sixth, Ducks seventh. I, I, like, passionately disagree with this ranking. I Kraken fourth, Canucks... Well, Kraken fourth is a stretch to me. Golden Knights third is kind of like... I have no that, idea how the Golden Knights are that high with their goaltending. The Golden Knights could finish there. It's not impossible. It's just, man, that's that's a very like optimistic finish for them. And then I think the Kings should be a lot higher there. Um, the Canucks are a bit of a wild card to me. So yeah, I don't really love those. I mean, hey, like those are smart people. Like they they're like I'm not trying to discredit their work at all, but I, that's just not how I see it. I mean, I yeah, and I don't necessarily think that I think it's important to say that just because that's what their model saying isn't necessarily probably what they think. No. Yeah. Like like a model is just like a specific set of variables regress the whole thing. I just want to point out, though, Jake, um, I'm looking at the Vegas odds for the Calder trophy because I was mm-hmm. curious. Who, who do, do you we think? Miss? Who do you think has the best odds of winning the Calder trophy? Per, per Vegas. Oh, I thought you were going to list out a bunch of players. Uh, no, no, who no. has Who has the best chance to win the Calder Trophy per Vegas? Uh, uh, Slavkovsky? No, it's Mason McTavish. Oh, really? Yeah, a plus 400. So that's... I wonder how I mean, many people made that bet with uh, after the World Juniors, and that kind of raised the odds on I it. mean, that, I feel like that's all that it's based on right well because a lot of the vegas odds right they correct themselves after they get enough bets at certain odds and so they were probably getting so many bets for mason mctavish after the world juniors that it corrected itself that i'm not 100 sure on but anyway uri slavkovsky plus 1800 yes let's go okay uh question two will the ducks change course and break up the mctavish lundestrom silverberg line for the start of the regular season i don't think so i think the top six like you were referring to is kind of set I think so. the th- I think the third person on that line is up for grabs. I think whether it is a Pavel Regenda, whether it is a Rocco Grimaldi. Uh, also, I mean, should we briefly talk about Regenda? Are you going to rescind your Regenda hate? I mean, he's looked fine. I mean, I actually think the way he's played is kind of what I was talking about um, in the in the, in rookie in the rookie camp where I thought or the rookie tournament where I thought that this is a guy who probably looks better kind of like in a system. Yeah, and and he's done that and. Like, sure, give me Pavel Regenda over Derek Grant. Like, now that I've kind of, like, reoriented my thoughts for the bottom six, it's just, okay, the bar is Derek Grant. Yeah. Then, sure. Like, after, after we legitimately had this argument on in text messages, and I had to say, well, the like, you were like, well, he's below, with Grimaldi. It's like, well, the numbers show him being below, below replacement for the last couple of years. Like, yes, but you're comparing it. You have to compare him to what the I mean, I don't, is. I don't disagree. Like, I've never disagreed with that. Sure. I'm, sure, I'm just. Sure, sure. I just think you were kind of selling him a bit too too hard, and I'm like, sure. well, okay, let's sure. let's pump the brakes. Sure. Okay, so we're gonna get to questions on Twitch, but before you we do that, yes, uh, check us out on YouTube. Yes, and people that are there on YouTube, you can find us at Twitch.tv/CrashSpawn, uh, where we do this live show each and every time. And if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month, and you help support the show more than you can imagine. With that, you get special emotes in the chat, specials, badges. 
uh, next to your name. And I want to give some shout outs, by the way, because we had a bunch of stuff come in for, uh, for people subbing. Odog81 resubbed for 19 months and said, Sub Crash the Pond, it's been a while. Uh, Lockdown Late Night, one of our like original, yeah. original Twitch, Twitch viewers, um, resubbed for 35 months and is sto- stoked to be here. And he gifted out, let me see, one, two, three, four. Five, he gifted out five different uh, pay, or Twitch subs to people. Sick. So, so, and then Heyo Dflow gifted out a sub also, and Bionic Chris resubbed for twenty three months. So we've just had a, a you, fruitful night. So thank you everyone for doing that. We really appreciate it, and it really helps out more than you can imagine. And lockdown, happy to have you here still. Uh, yeah. All right, so let's get to this. Priya Pismic says, "What do uh, what does the power play one look like? Is Klingberg the only defenseman on that uh, unit?" Yeah, I would think it's going to be Klingberg on on PP1, Trevor Zegras on the right side in the right face-off circle, Troy Terry is going to be on there, probably Adam Henrique in the bumper spot, and then... Max Colmswell front net? Yeah, I mean, the way he's been playing, I think that that makes sense. I don't actually know if we have intel on what the power play units are, though. No, um, we don't. We, this, we've had the, some games, and they've split up... Yeah, it's been They've done too... a weird job with it. Well, especially with Zegers being out, it's almost like, well, you just kind of throw your hands up because like, you just know that he's going to be a key figure there. And so if he's not out there, you can't really take a whole lot away from the, Ooh, the power plays. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If Zegers is cleared, do you play him in any of these final preseason no. games? No. Why? Why? What is the point? What is like legitimately? What is the point? To get him up to speed in that final game against he's the up Kings to speed. with the entire roster? He's up to speed. He's Trevor Zegris. Like, okay. he is the speed. It's okay. No. You, Bubble wrap him. A, does he have a need? A need for speed? I, he is speed. Not the drug. Not the drug. Just the metaphorical sense of speed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> collect. I, like, legitimately, re- what is Wait, the did, point? Did my, re- did my reference just go over your head? Yeah. Well, it's a movie, right? Need for speed. Yeah, no, it it's from Top Gun. Whatever, don't care. Moving on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> collecting with, uh, with Spenny said, will McTavish stay in the NHL this year? Yes. Okay. He also asks, what's your ideal Ducks defensive lineup? Uh, so I let's see, go defenseman. I want to see Klingberg, line, uh, Klingberg Fowler. Okay. I think... Uh, I think Kulikov Drysdale. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I... I don't love those options. And then, um, you know what? Give me Mahura Shattenkirk third pairing. Give me Mahura Benoit third pairing. No, I think Shattenkirk's still better than Benoit. The Mahura Benoit pairing last year was actually solid. That's true. I mean, I think Benoit's like he's not bad or anything. Like it's Mahur- just and, and they played together in the game against LA, and the numbers weren't bad One against a, a strong LA team. One that- game preseason. Okay. But we also have data from last year. But okay. I mean, okay. Shattenkirk was was brutal last year, but he was great on the power Wait, play. Where I get Mahura hasn't really shaped up to be this great guy, but there's a lot of like, he's not bad though. Like there's like, a lot of like hate going the wrong way on. Here's the thing. here's the weird thing with Mahura is that like his on ice numbers were terrible last year, but yeah, the 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 micro stats, the tracking data, like he look he he does stuff. Like he he does interesting things. He's he can move the puck. He gets shots off. Um, I don't know. Like I don't. I wouldn't be writing him off just yet. I feel like yeah. He just it feels like there's a lot of that of, of of people wanting him off the team at this point. Or thinking yeah, like like, like he he hasn't like 
yeah, I, I don't really he, like he hasn't that. gone like an extended stretch on the team with like actual like good pairings. I feel like he he's always just kind of been like a fill in guy. And then as soon as things go wrong for him or someone gets healthy, he's right back out of the lineup and back down to San Diego. Like, yeah, I, exactly. And so that's why, I mean, our, our good friend, Mike Ayodifo saying pull up his three year chart. And it's like he hasn't played enough. It's I feel, not good. Over those three years. It's not good. But I feel like, again, there's a lot of context there and I'd be just willing to give him a, a bigger chance. Like, I want to see like a 10 game stretch of him just getting regular minutes like and just hell, see like, what it a, looks like. A, a three-year chart he played over that time 38 games last season 13 games the season before 11 games the season before that's not even a full season of games in that three-year chart yeah right? like i i, I want to see him get a fair shake and i want to i mean if it was benoit mahura i wouldn't hate that i just like shattenkirk for the power play too yeah like this is someone that hasn't even had 100 nhl games under his i belt. also i also want to see shattenkirk on a third pairing like again like last year he was on a second pairing Right. And I don't think that's where he should be playing anymore. I think that third pairing is a better spot for him. So we'll see. But that that would be the ideal, um, idealish blue line. I mean, ideally, Olin Zellweger would would be in this lineup. But yeah, he's no longer uh, with us. Tybal the Fiendblood said, mostly a question for Felix. What are your opinions on Kent Hughes comments? And do you think if Martin Madden was chosen as the new Montreal GM, do you think he still drafts Slavkovsky? So I think the comments he's referring to maybe you you know about this but i think he said something to the effect of we didn't we didn't want to draft the best 18 year old we wanted to draft the best nhl player years down the line or something like that and picking slavkovsky and you know i don't i don't love hearing that cuz that sounds like kind of buzzwordy and like that i feel like a lot of bad picks are made that way but i really do think this was a draft where like you could really make a lot of different arguments for guys at number one. And so it's not some cardinal sin that they didn't pick Shane Wright. I think Slavkovsky is probably the biggest risk profile of any of those number one potential picks. But I mean, the Canadians actually released a, uh, like a behind the scenes of their draft. And it was really interesting because they had Chris Boucher, who's I think one of the founders or one of the first employees of sport logic did a lot of public analytics work before who was like at the table in the war room with them giving them all this kind of live statistical feedback. And so I do trust that there is some logic to, to them picking him. So I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board of the Hughes train. Okay. There it is. Uh, let's see. Collecting with Spenny said, which ducks prospects are closest to being NHL ready? Well, McTavish is, is going to play in the NHL this year. I think yeah. Zellweger Zell, still about a year away. I think Zellweger's um, close. Hellison's close. I think Hellison's going to play games this year. I think, I think Perot. I think Perot is and Tracy have to be getting close. Like, like, yeah. like it, it's going to be this year, or next year for them. Realistically yep. speaking. Yep. Completely agreed. Uh, all right. And I'm trying to think about any other prospects. I mean, if they end up signing through and Lacombe have to be close also like that. Yeah. I mean, where the- I think, I think Tyson Hines looks like he looks like he could be NHL ready sooner than we thought. Um, just the way he was playing in this preseason, you know, he's going to be playing in junior again this year, but I think, I think he doesn't look too far away. I think Nathan Gauthier, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, Nathan, go- Nathan Gauthier legitimately really impressed in preseason. I thought he, he looked really, really good. He looked great. The one guy that I wonder is, uh, I mean, Lucas Dostal, like uh, how long, how much longer are we going to have to wait to see? Yeah. Him? This is the last year of his, of his ELC. And then, you know, Solars is expiring this season, so or next offseason, I should say. So 
is is will Dostal be the backup in 23-24? Like maybe. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's it's a pretty big question mark there. Um by the way, did you see Pavel speaking of prospects, Pavel Minchukov, I think he had a five point night. Yeah. A goal and four assists. Yeah. I think he's actually still a year or two away. Yeah, I think he's gonna use up both of his overage years in the in junior. I don't think he's someone that they're gonna bring in next year. He's just NHL I, spot. I think watching him in the preseason, you could just tell how raw he is. Well it's like, just, I don't I don't necessarily know what spot he would take. I think is gonna be on the team next year. Um, and I think Kulikov's not, and then you have still have Benoit or Mahura for that third line role. Mm-hmm. Um, my and- favorite, my favorite discussions, and I'm not saying this sarcastically, are when we're already projecting the next season, like during the preseason of, like of any given season. Well, that's what we're doing now because that it's kind of it's kind of fun. Like I don't yeah. know what it is. It's just well, kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I guess Bonnie's now here, so she's going to cause trouble for us as we are about to wrap this thing down. Uh, Bionic Chris said, uh, is CTP go? And she's saying ditch Mahura. Bonnie, we've already uh, dismissed that. Uh, I thought, wait, hold on. I thought Bonnie was the one that's like, oh, don't hate on players. You know, be fair to them. They're human beings. Uh, you know, this and that, this and that. And now it's like, ditch this guy for what? You know, anyway. And and we're told that we hate the Ducks. We hate, yeah, we hate the Ducks. Okay, moving on. All right. Uh, Fire Carl said, or no, that wasn't the question. Bionic Chris said, uh, is CTP taking a trip down to San Diego to watch a goals game? How well, motivated are you to watch the goals play this season? I'd like to go and see Hellison and Perot and Tracy. I think if, okay. Zellweger, if Zellweger was eligible, I think that would really increase my thing and now that i am within an hour of their stadium, that's true you're you're a san diego county like, adjacent my uh, my uh, electric is through <laughs> san diego uh, electric yeah yeah that means something yeah uh but uh yeah I'd, I'd definitely i'd make the drive to watch josh lapina no i mean may here's my thing it's probably gonna be a little bit more of a kid-friendly environment and so maybe that's where i take luke to some yeah. games as a kid so who knows we'll we'll see about that luca, but luca luca profaca no also is there like a helicopter there is Go, are, are you are you in like a live gta game or something i guess anyway. yeah someone's about to jump over my uh <laughs> my wall and come at me uh let's see uh fire carlisle said uh if a contender loses a goalie early in the season the Ducks should be prepared to flip stolars to a desperate team and promote dostal should they do that to vegas I mean, that is a tough case to make because like it's Vegas, because they're in your division, you're trying to make the playoffs, presumably like it just depends what you can get back. Like if Vegas is willing to offer a second, I, I just think you have to take it. Right. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Can you get a second for Anthony Stolarz? Probably not. Yeah. So. Let's see. Okay. Tybal, let's end with this. Tybal the Fiend Blood said, okay, but what's the lineup going to look like in three seasons? Uh, let me look into my crystal ball. So you're going to have Vetrano, Zegris, Terry. I mean, you can straight up just look at the contracts and that'll, that'll clue Strom, you in. Strom or McTavish with Perot. So is Tracy. three seasons from now counting this season? So this would be yes. 24, 25. Sure. Let's do it. Strom, he, he didn't specify. <laughs> There's only three forwards on the current roster signed through that season yeah but let's assume the rfas get signed yeah i mean henrique silver could legitimately not be back that season i think henrique maybe like on a kind of swan song contract i think Silverberg. i think silverberg retires after this contract i think silverberg might retire after this season 
I hope not. I wouldn't. I, I don't want to wish that upon him. But yeah, I hope I not. Also, because that would mean that he's really fallen off. But yeah. Oh, just, Fowler. Fowler will still be around. He will. There be. is. There are legitimately four skaters on this team who are currently signed through that there, season. There's a chance John Klingberg's still around. I think that's that's definitely real. Um, I think it's probably more real than we thought about at the time. I mean, to Kling, be honest, Fowler, Klingberg, Zellweger, Hellison, Grant. Delorier return, uh, Jack Kopaka. <laughs> no, no, no Delorier reunion. No, actually, and... he he'll still be he'll still be signed <laughs> through that season with Philly. He'll, he'll, he'll still be a, a <laughs> he'll he'll have a no trade clause. Still. Uh, yeah, Comtois, McTavish, Strom could be a line. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hellison, um. You know, maybe Perry will still be kicking around. Corey Perry, you never know. You never okay. know. The du- the Ducks are paying Corey Perry two million dollars a season. By the way, they are. They they needed that at one point to get to the salary cap floor. That's true. Yeah. Um, also, now I'm just. This is just like like cap friendly trivia. They're also paying Fire Carl- Fire Carlisle. C- by the way, is doing uh doing it for us. Tracy Gauthier Perot. Okay. Oh shit! Yeah, there's Minchukov also in three years will probably be on the team. Yeah, yeah. Minchukov, and then give me one more right hand shot defenseman for that, or give me another one for the right side. Uh, did you already L- see? Helson's a lefty. Is, no, he's is not. Lu- he's a righty. Is Luno a righty? Yeah, he Hel- is. Helson's a righty. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said Helson. You already said Helson. Yeah, I did. Uh, Austin Strand. Luno. Yes. Strand. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Axel Anderson, he's a righty. He'll he'll have figured it out by then, right? Ole Ulevi. Oh man, is Ole Ulevi a right? No, he's lefty. I just man, did we already talk about it on this show? The the Promen article. Did we mention that on the show? Or that was that us talking beforehand. That was us talking before. Do you want to just go for it? Well, I mean, I I just love this idea that Mahura was on the outs because the Ducks signed Ulevi. It's like he was waived today, and anyway, put some respect on Mahura's name. The little that he's earned. Um, also, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm getting ratioed, or I got ratioed on on Twitter. What did you do? Because I called the LA Rams the asterisk champs. And I've actually said that before on Twitter. You have. You always get ratioed <laughs> when you do that. You, you know, you, wait, Felix, you know that majority of your followers, right, are from Southern California, <laughs> where probably a lot of them are Rams fans, especially with the Rams winning the the super bowl i mean and it's, so taunting and shit talking rams fans is probably not your best course of action i just think it's funny because it's it's almost become a bit i actually do think there's an asterisk next to their super bowl oh i mean I don't, i'm not i'm not gonna get into it but i just love that like someone replied explain the asterisk and then someone replied to that who's <laughs> i guess seen me tweet this before was like i've asked him to explain the asterisk before but he's a coward and doesn't respond lol <laughs> and that same person said answer these people coward lol <laughs> at least he has a joke about it i mean i feel like so the, the the real ones understand that ha- like, hammer I, 1759 i'm with you felix answer answer these people answer i mean them. they beat the Bengals. you know a, a a green Bengals team that just wasn't supposed to be there anyway they beat an injured niners team with an or sorry an injured quarterback they actually should have lost that game. Like, there's just so many different asterisks. Um, 
Fake. Fake ring. That's all. And that's all. Nothing else to it. Yeah, that is maybe one of your worst takes. What? That the one. Ast- the asterisk? That one. Like, I- your Lakers one, if you wanted to, like, make that argument of bubble, whatever. Sure, whatever. But this is legitimately probably one of your worst takes. Well, okay. The... Man, I could I could go on about this. They don't pick who they play. Your your gar it's a garbage take. It's a garbage take. And I'm not even a Rams fan. The Rams or sorry, the the Bengals who they played in the Super Bowl were losing at halftime in the AFC Championship game and basically needed a historic meltdown. Who cares? They didn't no, pick to play them. This is can, Who cares? Can I just have my narrative? No, there is no narrative here. It's a <laughs> bogus like garbage take i'll just say this meant it, to just troll even if you don't want to have an asterisk which is fine i mean i think you're wrong for but you can you cannot have it it's it's still a soft it's a soft championship they didn't have to beat anyone really they didn't have to they almost lost they almost right. lost like i'm moving on because this is you've had some like rough takes <laughs> you've had some rough ones the the cinnamon toast crunch <laughs> the the yeah, at pies least this one, at least this one's sports related there's a lot oh yeah table of fiend blood it said what's worse your food takes or your football takes i get so much shit for my football takes on twitter this is a bad one like this is like this is a bad one <laughs> i think it's fully legitimate they beat an injured jimmy garoppolo congrats um anywho anywho let's um let's i, I have no words because this is just this is legitimately so bad is it though? I think yes. you agree with me. I think most people like. I think the reason why there's so much outrage is because deep down, people are offended. Like they know, oh, this is this is hitting a little too close to home. Like I felt this as as the Rams were lifting the championship. Do you, do I, you I want, felt a, a do you bit want of to try, doubt. Do you want to try to make a like food take to at least make this one not look as bad? A food take. Um, I don't know. I don't have any food takes right now. Like you can't just I'm not you know I'm not just like a wind up toy you can't just you know on command have a take. <laughs> um. All right. Well, let's uh let's wrap this thing up, shall we? Sure. Before I, before I get us canceled again. In and out's great. I had In and Out today. There you go. There's your food take. Um. I I tried to get In and Out yesterday, but the the In and Outs in Northern California the lines are so much longer. I've had In and Out. I had In and Out yesterday and today. <laughs> wow. Back to back is is bold. Yeah, I haven't done back to back in a long time. It was great. It's a good. Decision. Oh, actually, so a couple weeks ago, it was really late at night and went to In and Out and you know was like really starving, blah blah whatever. And their line was so long, didn't want to wait. Guess where I ended up going? Five Guys. No, this is late at night. Five, five Guys is not open late Ma- at night. Del Taco. No, there's no Del Tacos around here. Thank God. McDonald's? Yes. It was so bad. I legit like had a stomachache from eating McDonald's. Well, yeah, that's part of what you get when you get McDonald's. You expect the stomachache. It's worth it, though. I don't think it was worth it, to be honest. Then you didn't get the right stuff. I got chicken nuggets. Yeah, you didn't make the right call. Well, what oh, else? Oh, oh, like- oh, this was the take. That, oh, okay. That I do have a take. Okay. Um, I legitimately believe... In my heart of hearts, that In-N-Out fries are better than McDonald's fries. I'll allow it. I don't know yeah? if I agree with it. Yeah. Okay. But it, I I think I think In-N-Out fries are severely underrated. Wow. 
You know what? I I'm glad I found a kindred spirit because this is not a popular take. I've I've tested I've test run it on other people and it has not gone over well. Yeah. Also, McDonald's animal fries, fantastic. Yeah, not the best thing on the menu, as has been contended by people I know <laughs> in my inner circle. <laughs> just go ahead. You can throw them under the bus. <laughs> I just want to say though that he's in a different country, so you can throw him underneath the 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 trolley there. I wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I came up with that. Red Robin fries are actually not bad. I've not um, Red Robin in forever. I haven't had it in years, and if I never have it again, like I'll be fine. I'm not. You used to go a bunch in high school. Whiskey River Barbecue Chicken Wrap, fantastic. Chicken wrap, okay. Um, but yeah, no, I think that In and Out fries are are good. They're just good. Yeah. We don't need to. We don't need to to litigate it any further. And then, uh, you know, McDonald's fries are like the the second, like literally the millisecond that they're not piping hot anymore, they're awful. Like they McDonald just... McDonald's fries can be bad. I think that yes, it's not normal that they're bad, but they can be. I don't think In and Out fries really are ever bad. No, I mean the only time they're bad, I don't actually like them crispy. I don't like them well done. I like them nice and nice and soggy. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let, let's wrap this thing just, up. Just leaving that one there. You can go on. What you don't like soggy? <laughs> the word soggy is weird. I feel like you just can't. It's like the word moist. Like as soon as you say it, <laughs> as soon as you say it, people's faces just change. <laughs> you read my mind. On that, yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's what it that's what it conjures up in the mind. All right, let's end this thing. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. I uh, hope uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, this I hope season. you I hope you enjoyed the noises from Luke, the ambient noise noises of yeah, uh, a, a baby baby, baby ASMR. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. So season right around the corner, and we are keeping this thing going strong, as you can tell. So a few ways to help us keep this thing going. Number one way is to search us up on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest and quickest way. Search Crash the Pond and leave a rating and a review. And if you leave one, uh, we'll read it on the show. And we actually have a new one this week. And this one is from, I believe, is it Francois the Leaf Suck is his name, which I love that name. Um the title of the review is Good Show, five stars, and then it says 10 stars for Rudolph and negative five stars for Sicard. Fight on. Um, so on balance, we're still at five stars there, which is all I care about. Yeah. There's there's no I in team, so I'm I'm good with that. I'll, I'll take the negative five stars for, for the team. Not sure about the fight on, though. Can't, can't say I co-signed that. Is that actually the fight on symbol? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't understand that. Um, okay, on, but you fight on for all to see. Our men fight on to victory. I thought it just meant like peace out. That's what I thought that meant. Um, but another, the the other way that we really appreciate and that you'll actually get more content out of if you go to our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/CrashThePond. Dollar a month, you get access to our Discord server, uh, which is really awesome. You get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans. For five dollars a month, you get access to two bonus episodes. Uh, where we go more in depth on the ducks, we'll do league-wide rankings, we'll answer your questions, go into your topics, and we're also a little more unfiltered there. Uh, you can check the podcast out on YouTube. We're on we're in video format there, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Make sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications. We're on all the podcasting platforms, Spotify, 
Check out our website, crashthepond.com. We're also on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That is going to do for the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon. Hockey is coming. Bye. Bye.